So good to uh, see everyone this morning. If you're visiting with us, we're so grateful that you are here. Uh, last Sunday was Easter. You may have heard that. And um, so we read uh, the gospel account from the gospel of John about how uh, Mary went to the tomb early in the morning. And uh, she found the stone had been rolled away and the body of Jesus was not there. And so then Mary went and got some of the male disciples and they came running to the tomb. And uh, the male disciples left, but Mary stayed, and Jesus revealed himself to her as the gardener. Uh, that was John, uh, the 20th chapter, the first 18 verses. And we're going to pick up at verse 19. This is what has happened. Uh, the disciples are terrified, and they're uh, scared because the state has executed Jesus by crucifixion. And so they're wondering if they're next. And so they flee the scene and go back to the upper room. That's the room where uh, they shared the Last Supper. They rented that room for the Passover feast. And the disciples, I imagine them terrified to even breathe too loudly for people to discover them. I imagine them so scared that they didn't even go out during the day to get their own food. People were bringing food to them because they were wondering if they're next. And I think a, a soul-stirring question emerges uh, for us in the wake of resurrection. These disciples, adrenaline has been running through their bodies. It's been days now. And they're beginning to wonder if everything that they, uh, they had seen and heard and experienced, was it true? And so they're holed up in this upper room, wondering what's going to happen. And we're going to turn to verse 19. Uh, in the 20th chapter of John to read what happened next. Listen, my dear friends. Listen for the word of the Lord to all of us this day because there is power in this story. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After Jesus said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, Thomas was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Hey, Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord. My God, Jesus said to him, Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? 
Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Remind us, O oh God, that you hover here. You hover in this very sanctuary, just as you hovered over the waters of creation. Just as you hovered in that upper room those years ago. Remind us that you hover here, just like you hovered there. And breathe new life into these ancient words, that these words will be your word. And breathe new life into the words of my mouth and into the meditations of all of our hearts, that all will be acceptable and pleasing to you, O God, for you are our rock and our redeemer. For we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. So uh, Zach was my best friend when I was in kindergarten. We were partners in crime every day on the playground and partners in crime most weekends on campouts. Uh, though Zach, you need to know, was a bit of a daredevil. He was the kindergarten kid that would climb up really to the very top of the tree, get a couple branches, and leap out, right? To the dismay of all of us, and especially to his parents and our teachers. One morning, Saturday morning, it was no surprise then, when Zach dressed up like his favorite superhero, Superman, donned the red cape, climbed up on the kitchen table in his parents' house, and jumped right off believing that he, like Superman, could fly because he had the cape on. Monday came around at kindergarten, and Zach showed up with a fancy new red cast on his arm for his efforts. None of us had ever seen a cast before. None of us as kindergartners even knew that you could break an arm. But there Zach was with his bright new red cast. We were in kindergarten and uh, could barely write our names. I mean, I did grow up in South Carolina. We learned how to do that, like in sixth grade. <laughs> but needless to say, uh, there Zach was, and we lined up right in front of him because we wanted to sign our names on his cast in blue and black Sharpie. As a kindergartner, Zach wore that bright red cast like a badge of honor every day at lunch. We had to hear Zach tell the story of how he put on the cape, got on the table, jumped off and broke his arm. He was so proud of the wound that he had to bear with the world. But as we grow older, the less we want to show off our red cast with the world, is that not true? The less we want to show our hurts, the less we want to show our wounds to the world. And for good reason. I mean, it can be embarrassing, can it not? You're wearing a boot, walking around, and someone says, how did you hurt your foot? You don't want to tell them that you weren't paying attention and you stubbed your toe on the dining room table in your house. Someone comes up to you, they say, why are you wearing the neck brace? Everything okay? You don't want to admit that you were the person who was actually texting and driving. <laughs> you got depressed in a walnut hill, you weren't paying attention, and... You nailed the car in front of you. Happened three times last week. I saw it out of my office window. <laughs> no judgment, I'm just saying. 
to share. We don't want to share those kind of wounds with the world. Though many of the wounds that we carry, uh, we carry far below the surface, do we not? Uh, those kind of wounds, they, they don't require a red cast. <laughs> they don't require a red cast because they reside far below the exterior that we present to the world. Hurts that uh, no one would guess about us. The hurt of abuse. The hurt of, uh, of addiction or of trauma, of abandonment. Or uh, the, the hurt, the, the wound of a broken relationship, the pain of losing a child, the hurt of infidelity. Those are the wounds that we would never want anyone to know about. We don't want anyone knowing that we carry those. These are the wounds that we would never dare to admit or to share with the world publicly. These are the wounds uh, that we cover up at all costs, right? And I'm not talking about with our clothes, though we all look beautiful this morning. No, we cover these kind of wounds up with all the right accessories. <laughs> you know, the, the, the image of a perfect family right there on the Christmas card. Or the, uh, the nice car. Or the club membership. Or, or with alcohol. Or drugs. Ah, I just need something to take the edge off. You know, help me sleep a little bit. Or the accessories of many acquaintances, not friendships, <laughs> but acquaintances. You know, we have a thousand people that are, surround us all the time, but we don't want to risk being vulnerable with any of them. They might find out. So we keep them at arm's length and ensure that every relationship only gets to be an inch thick. Oh, we have to cover up our wounds, do we not, my friends? got to cover up our wounds and we got to move on <laughs> because if we sit with our wounds too long even for a moment the pain returns shame comes flooding back in an instant the trauma that has been buried below the surface still lingers though i think in our passage today uh, we learn that there's a, a different way to live with our wounds uh, there's a different way of living with, with our wounds beyond just running away from them and the pain that they continue to carry. Uh, Jesus, uh, I'll remind you, has been beaten. He's been executed by the state. He's been crucified. And his disciples frankly can't believe, some of them can't believe anyway, that he's been raised from the dead. So Jesus comes to them uh, in the evening in the same room that he shared the very last supper, the very first thing he does is not speak. Jesus chooses not to turn to words, but to turn to actions. And Jesus shows up in that room and shows them his hands and his side. He shows them what we can't fully grasp in words. He doesn't show up and ask him a thousand questions about why they don't believe and what has taken them so long and why are they up in this upper room still so scared. He doesn't do any of that. That's what we would do. Jesus shows up and shows them his wounds. Then he does something incredible. He invites them to touch his wounds. 
And I think Jesus, through this most powerful act, is saying, friends, it is through my wounds that new life can come. It's through my pain a greater story can emerge. Uh, You see, it's through my pain and my wounds that I connect with your pain and your wounds. And new life can also emerge for you. I follow this guy, uh, Richard Rohr. I read a lot of his books, get his daily email. He puts it this way. If we do not learn to transform our pain, we will surely transmit our pain. Friends, if we do not learn to transform our pain, we will surely transmit our pain. You may be thinking, uh, preacher, that's a really good line. I'm sure it works. What does that look like? Last spring, I got invited uh, to hear a hero of mine speak, Father Gregory Boyle. He's a Jesuit. Um, uh, uh, I got invited to hear him speak at a law office downtown Dallas. The most incredible thing happened. The Holy Spirit, she swept into that law office and transformed a law office into holy and sacred ground. (laughs) Think about it. Father Boyle, halfway through his talk, uh, tells this story that I've heard him tell probably 10 times. I knew what he was going to say, but I was absolutely overwhelmed by every word. Started weeping. Because uh, this story he told, I think, best illustrates for us what it means and looks like to transform your pain rather than transmit your pain. Father Boyle said, uh, I recently gave a talk, a training, an all-day seminar deal to 600 social workers. It was a training on gangs and gang violence. He said, I had two former gang members uh, with me, and one of them was this guy named Jose. Jose got up. Jose's in his late 20s, and he now works in uh, the substance abuse part of our team. Jose is a man in recovery. He's been a, a heroin addict. A gang member? I mean, he's Jose's tattooed. uh, Jose gets up. He doesn't have any notes. He stands right at the lectern, and he says sort of offhandedly, You know, I guess you could say that my mom and me, we didn't get along so good. I guess I was six when she looked at me and said, I wish you would just die. You're such a burden to me. The whole audience did what some of you just did. They gasped. And then Jose looked at them and said, it sounds way worser in Spanish. (laughs) And they did what you did. They laughed. Then he said, you know, I guess I was nine when uh, my mom drove me down to the deepest part of Baja, California. She took me by the hand, walked me right up to the front door of the orphanage and said, hey, I found this kid on the street. I was there uh, three months, 90 days, until my grandmother could get out of my mom where she had dropped me, where she had dumped me. My grandmother came and rescued me. Jose then says, you know, my mom, when I got back home, she used to beat me every day with things that you could imagine and with some items that you could have never imagined. My back was uh, bloodied and bruised and scarred. In fact, Jose 
said. I had to wear uh, three t-shirts every day to school. The first t-shirt, uh, because it would soak up the blood, but the second t-shirt, so that the blood wouldn't spill over, and then the third t-shirt, it, it sort of hid the whole thing. I had three t-shirts on, and so no one could see my pain, my wounds, or my blood. Kids at school would make fun of me. They would look at me and they would say, Jose, you know it's 100 degrees outside. Why you got three shirts on? And Jose sort of loses his battle by trying to hold back the tears, you know, that feeling when you're trying to choke them back. Jose says, I wore three t-shirts well into my adult years because I was ashamed of my wounds. I didn't want anybody to see my wounds. But now my wounds are my friends. I welcome my wounds. I run my hands over my wounds every morning. Then he looked at this crowd and Jose said, how can I help the wounded if I don't welcome my own wounds? How can I help the wounded if I do not welcome my own wounds. Awe came upon everyone in that ballroom because we're so inclined to judge this kid who went to prison. This kid who's uh, tattooed, who's a gang member, who experienced homelessness. This kid who's a heroin addict. The list goes on. The truth is, Jose was never seeking anything when he ended up in those places. He was always fleeing the story that I just shared with you. The resurrection story is this. What, what part of your story are you fleeing? What wounds are you carrying with you this morning? that are waiting for you to run your hands over them? I ask you that question because Jesus showed up to them in an upper room, in the very room where they shared the last meal, and he shows them his wounds. He claimed them so that we wounded people would know that new life can come from the parts of our lives that have been most hurt and feel most broken. Jesus shows up and I think in revealing his wounds, asks the very question that Jose asked, how can I help the wounded if I don't welcome my own wounds? Friends, that's a hard question, but, but, but let me be clear. That's the question that a person who's been resurrected ask. If we settle for resuscitation in our life, we will spend all of our days merely trying to cover up our own wounds. We'll spend a lot of time and money doing it. But if we risk the vulnerability and we seek to be resurrected, then we too will ask this question. How can I help the wounded if I don't welcome my own wounds. What wounds are you carrying with you? What wounds do you need to welcome? Let us pray.
we carry so much, oh God. We carry far more than we would ever want you to know. And yet you do. We carry far more than we ever would want the world to see. Help us to know, God, that you know it all. And you love us still. And you claim us. And that you went to the cross so that we might know that love most fully. So help us to take the risk of faith and to welcome the wounds of our lives. So that we can help one another and glorify you. For we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. Having heard the word read and proclaimed.